All right, so starting at verse uh, 14 in chapter 1. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord of my, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through, through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may yet turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Here ends the reading. It's, um, you know, if you've been um, around church or the Bible for um, a bit of time, what's the first thing that comes up in your mind when you hear about the story of Jonah? 
a fish. Well, we're changing that with this series. You know, we're looking at the story of Jonah and we want to move from the Sunday school story of it all being about a big fish so that we actually, so we push that big fish aside and we show an even bigger God in the story of Jonah. And that's what we're praying for for these, um, um, for these few weeks. You know, last week Joel helped us to look at chapter 1 where Jonah does a runner and we all know how that works, you know. Uh, he's called to go to Nineveh and there is no way he's going anywhere near that wicked nation. They're scary, they're mean, they're violent. I don't know, Joel, you probably explained a little bit what they were like and some of the stuff that they did last week. Hmm? Oh, the kids were here. Okay. They were mean and they were violent and they were horrible people. And they certainly weren't God's people and Jonah knew that. They would not the people of the children of God and, and they deserved everything that they were going to get. Jonah believed that they deserved all of God's fury. Now Jonah was a Jew of all Jews. He was a, such a proud Jew and, and anyone that wasn't a Jew, well, God should just smite them and ruin them. And so when God called him to go to Nineveh, he just ran the other way. A, because he didn't want them to, uh, to be saved, but secondly, he was really scared. So in answer to God's command, he goes in exactly the opposite direction. I don't know if Joel told you, but Tarshish was almost diametrically opposed to, where, to Nineveh and where he was supposed to go. And the end of chapter 1 shows us how that worked out for him. Not so good. You know, he does end up in the fish, you know. And Joel's message finished and, and I had a little bit of a look and listen with the, a hint to what God was up to, doesn't, didn't it? And helping us to begin to see what the book of Jonah is actually all about what its message is and why it might be important for us to think of it more than just this lovely story or a bit of a confusing story when you get to the end of it. Each of the main characters or character groups in Jonah get to experience the amazing saving power of God and to see his inexplicable mercy in action. And so today I've called the message God's amazing far-reaching mercy. And the main purpose of the book of Jonah is to get us to understand God's mercy and grace. And God's mercy, it kind of almost explodes on the pages a little bit unexpectedly. And it reveals itself almost in, in every chapter. You get to see God's mercy and God's grace and God relenting. Uh, that, 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 that His mercy is boundless, that it's undefinable, it's unpredictable when you don't think it's going to come. It's overwhelming, it's surprising, particularly um, for the reader as you read it, but definitely for Jonah. Nonpartisan, it isn't politically aligned or anything, and it's far-reaching and I could go on. Most of the characters in our book have either no idea what or who they're supposed to be living for, or they've lost the idea. So we've got people in these characters in, in this story. They have no idea. Some of them have no idea who or what they're supposed to be living for. And some have kind of lost the idea, have lost the... And that's probably Jonah. Either way, they're in a spiritual fog. Yet God doesn't look at that spiritual stupidity and say, you idiots. We would. That's what we would say. We'd be inclined to say, when you look at the Ninevites, serves them right. And if we had social media and Facebook, we'd probably out them on Facebook or, you know, or bag them out on social media. Or the sailors, you know what sailors are like. But God doesn't do that. And this whole book shows us mercy and grace, God's style. 
and helps us understand it even more for our own lives. And what's important for us to understand is that mercy leads to repentance. You know, not the other way around. A cursory read of the book would suggest it's the other way around, wouldn't it? Um, A human read of the book or a surface read would make us think that the formula is repentance then leads to God's mercy. You know, the sailors repent, so God stops the storm. Jonah repents and God saves him from the belly of fish. He gets spit out. The Ninevites repent and they were bad. God doesn't destroy them. So it kind of looks logical when you read it like that, when you sort of say, well, hey, so repentance actually leads to mercy. However, the opposite is actually true. God's incredible mercy leads to repentance. It's his mercy that each of these characters, despite the various ways they've rejected God and despite the fact that they've, they've really messed up their life and they're in that fog, it's his mercy that leads them into places where they have an opportunity to repent, that they experience and see God and repent. It's like the, you know, the, it's, all, it's God's mercy for the sailors that they end up in this storm and actually get an opportunity to see God and repent. So what I want us to see and what we need to understand is God's mercy leads to repentance, which then leads to an expression of his grace and mercy. And God is patient and very generous in his mercy. Twice he shows patience with Jonah. He's patient as the sailors try everything else before they even respond. And he's generous to save them. He says of the Ninevites in chapter 4 verse 11, and in a couple of weeks we're going to look at chapter 4, he says of the Ninevites, they don't know their left from their right. Now that's either generous or the biggest understatement ever. You know, these guys were really bad. And the thing is, God knew what the plan was for the Ninevites, even before, um, before he sent Jonah, you know, didn't he? Because he asks Jonah to say, you know, 40 days before you'll be overthrown. And in original Hebrew language, that overthrown actually can mean repent. 40 days and you'll be repent, if you will repent. He knew and destined even the fate of the Ninevites. God's mercy and saving power is bigger than we see. And he's always at work in the background. It's always happening, drawing us into situations, drawing us into places where we can repent. His mercy protects us from even greater pain and separation, even if his mercy seems extreme at times. Let me illustrate. I read this, this story and I just want to read a little bit to you. And, and um, um, There was this wicked witch in the forest. So you ready for a fairy tale? Wicked witch and shed this beautiful home in the forest. And when travellers came through looking for lodging, she offered them a meal and a bed. It was the most wonderfully comfortable bed any of them had ever felt. No falling asleep when I'm reading this. But it was a bed full of dark magic. And if you were asleep in it, when the sun came up, you would turn to stone. Then you became a figure in the witch's statue, statutary it calls it here. Trapped until the end of time. The witch, this witch, forced a young girl to serve her, and though she had no power to resist the witch, the girl had become more and more filled with pity for her victims. One day, a young man, young, handsome man, they're always handsome in the fairy tales, came looking for a bed and board, and he was taken in. A servant girl could not bear to see him turn to stone, so she threw sticks and stones and thistles into his bed. 
It made the bed horribly uncomfortable. Every time he turned, he felt a new, painful object under him. And though he cast each one out, there was always a new one to dig into his flesh. So he slept only fitfully and finally rose, feeling weary, worn, long before dawn. As he walked out the front door, the servant girl met him and he berated her cruelly. How could you give a traveller such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones, he cried. And he went on his way. Ah, she said under her breath, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. God put sticks and stones of love in our beds to wake us up, to bring us to rely on him, lest the end of history or life overtake us without the Lord in our hearts. Isn't that a great illustration? Sometimes we need to get to the end of ourselves, to the depths in order to see and recognize God's mercy and respond in repentance. Our own behavior and sin can, can swallow us and can drown us. It can threaten to destroy us. And they're the metaphors that we see in Jonah, don't we? We get the swallow, the drown, the, the destruction. Our own sin can, can do that to us. And sometimes we need to get to the bottom, just like Jonah drowning or the fishermen facing death or the Ninevites facing destruction. Yet like Jonah, God's mercy reaches us in exactly the same way, or like the fishermen or the Ninevites. And Romans 5 verse, verse 8 is one of my favorite verses, and it's a great verse to ever sort of to, to ponder on where it, you know, where it talks to us while we were being disobedient, while we were being obstinate, while we were being evil and in a place of rejecting God or in a place of being unrepentant, that God's mercy is still mighty to save. His eyes are still on us and his heart is still for us. Yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still unrepentant, while we were still not ready to do what he asks us to do, while we were still in this fog, not understanding, his heart is still for us. And even when we think we've probably out-sinned God's grace, like, oh, if you only knew how bad my life was, or if you only knew some of the things I've done, even when we think that, God's grace or his patience, we think we've out-sinned God's grace or patience or outrun his mercy, or we feel like we've become undeserving, his power to reach into our lives and to save us is manifest. And then we know it's his work. He shows up, just like he did in Jonah. And even then for us sometimes, God's mercy can be a little bit hard to understand, can't it? At times we can still be in the dark regarding God's mercy and his saving power. Like Jonah, we don't always understand it for ourselves, but we also don't understand it for others. Like Jonah didn't understand it for the Ninevites. Our fears, our sins, our prejudices, our emotions experiences that we've had, they kind of sometimes hide the grace of God from us. Jonah runs from God's mercy for the Ninevites because he doesn't understand, nor does he want to understand that God's mercy could reach them. That was his prejudices and his fear, wasn't it? His prejudice just closed his eyes for the fact that God might want to save the Ninevites and his fear, well, he wasn't going anywhere near them, was he? It's only when he experiences it himself God's mercy in the depths and he responds in repentance that he can now be used as an agent of God's mercy himself. Little hint there, he doesn't quite get it yet. He doesn't really get it yet. 
And this can be true for us too. It can be true in my life, and I don't know about you, but sometimes we don't, just, we don't get it. But when we do, when we do get it, or when we begin to, we realize that we're blessed, we're crazy blessed. But we also know that God never calls us in to bless us without sending us out to be a blessing. Does anyone remember that message I did a long time ago? I'll reprise it. God never calls us in to bless us without sending us out to be a blessing. And we realize that when we get it, we too can be used as agents of that same mercy in the life of others, the people that we meet. Those that we do identify with, and you know that's easier sometimes, the people that we do identify with, they think like us or they operate like us in family style or socially or work or, or society. But what about those that we don't identify with? The ones that we're a little bit scared of. You know, those mean Ninevites that, you know, they'll never respond. What about those? What about how we respond to them? How we pray for the gay lobby? Pray for God's mercy on them. Pray that and to love them into the kingdom and, and believe that God wants to save them. For the leftists or the rightists, wherever you are, for Muslims, or for wherever it is that is not on the same page as you. When you get it, God's mercy, when you realize how blessed you are, you want to go to those that you do identify with and to those that you don't identify with. Because God's mercy is great and mighty to save right across the spectrum, isn't it? We're blessed to be a blessing. It's only that revelation of God's saving power for ourselves and His amazing grace and mercy for us, in spite of who we are and what we've done, that makes it possible for us to be agents of that same thing. Otherwise, we'll struggle and we struggle not because we don't want to do the right thing. Our, our minds and our, our hearts want to do the right thing. But we don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. It seems unfair or unjust or we really need to... It just doesn't seem right. It's undeserved. And it's even sometimes irresponsible in our eyes and we would feel like we'd be rewarding it. Yet God's mercy is just. It's never unjust. God's mercy for the Ninevites was just. It was never unjust. Yeah, that's, what, that's, what, that's what Jonah thought. God is simultaneously gracious and just at the same time. In the story of Jonah, we see God's righteousness and his love working together, don't we? He's both too holy and too loving to either destroy Jonah or to allow him to remain as he is. And God is also too holy and too loving to allow us to remain as we are. I think I've got it up there on the screen. Can you see that? Think of that. Apply that to yourself. Remember that God is too holy and too loving to either destroy Jonah or to let him stay the way he is. So there's got to be mercy in between. And God is the same with us. He's too holy and too loving to leave us the way that we are. And there's no greater place for us to see that than in Jesus and Jesus' work on the cross. That is the amazing example that we have, isn't it? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's how God was infinitely just. Because all sin was punished there. But it's also how God was infinitely loving because he took it all on himself. Do you see that? Do you see how that works? That God is so... He's so fixed, fixed on being just that he defeated all of our sin on the cross. But he's also so loving 
but he took it all on himself. That there is the great message of Jonah for us and a great truth for us to grasp, this whole concept of mercy. God is in no way finished with us yet. His mercy has not reached its boundary in our life or in your life. His saving power hasn't diminished. He hasn't gotten weaker over time. He isn't less determined to, to see us respond in repentance. As we allow ourselves to be astounded by His grace and marvel at His love, our only response is to repent and to be overthrown ourselves. To be totally turned around. To be totally changed. You know, the sailors went out that day and were not looking for it. There was no plan to go to Billy Graham and give their life to the Lord that night on the ship. I'm not bagging out Billy Graham. I think it's amazing what's going on. But there was no plan. And yet God's mercy reached them right in the midst of their brutality and their unrepentant lives. The same as the Ninevites. They're just doing their thing and in walks Jonah. Trembling probably, very likely. And they hear the word of the Lord and somehow they experience God. And right to the king, we have to do something. We have to change. God's mercy has brought us to this place, so let's repent and see God move in our life. What about our lives being changed and lives that reflect his glory? Jonah, the fishermen, the Ninevites, and us here, we've seen the amazing and far-reaching mercy of God, haven't we? We've seen it in the cross. They saw it in the, in the story of Jonah. The question really is, what will you do with it? Will you let it reach you? Will you let God's mercy touch you or change your heart? Will you allow God's mercy and, and God's grace to shape your passions or to shape your life and your life mission. You know, like, like I said, the fishermen, their mission for the day was to get the ship across there. And the Ninevites, I don't know what the Ninevites' mission was. But you know, sometimes I go through life and I've got my plans. I've got my mission and I, I know what I want to get done. And you know, look out if you get in the way. And quite frankly, I don't say it out loud, but I think the same of God. Don't get in the way of what I want to do. But would you allow God's mercy to turn your direction around? to shape your life mission, to sort of say, well, hey, maybe it isn't what I thought it was going to be. Maybe there's a bigger plan. Would you allow God to do that? Would you run towards him instead of away from him? Perhaps again, maybe you've done that a few times in your life. Will you let go and, and let God in your life? Would you surrender to him? Would you acknowledge that maybe he does have a better plan? You know, it's one thing for us to understand the mercy of God and say, wow, this is a really great story. So it is more, more than just about a fish. So it is more than just a big fish. This is God's big mercy. And isn't that great? Look at that. A whole city of the Ninevites became, you know, became Christians, if you like. Fishermen, you know, who these sailors became. And, and Jonah, well, we'll see what happens next week with Jonah. But it's really good. To, it's really easy to be a spectator, isn't it, sometimes? And to sit in the pews and say, well, that's a ripper story. That's fantastic. How good is God? Well, what if you never do anything with it? What are you going to do with God's mercy? What are you going to do recognizing that God is relentlessly pursuing you? you know, the Bible talks about God's love overtaking us. No matter how fast you run or how fast you drive, it's like God's love overtakes us. What are you going to do to respond to that?
What is God's amazing, far-reaching mercy going to mean in your life? Not just for you, but for everyone that you meet. The people that you know that don't know the Lord and they're, they're like you, but also the people that you know don't know the Lord and aren't like you. When it's hard, when it's tough, when it's scary, when you don't know if you're going to get out of this one alive, what would you let God's mercy do in your life? Would you surrender to him? You know, today we're, we're celebrating Lord's Supper and the biggest surrender act was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus went all the way. There wasn't going to be uh, an out clause. One of the great reminders that Jesus gave us of his mercy and grace in our lives is the way that we can celebrate that. How God was just and he was, yet he was loving by sending his son to the grave, carrying our sin on him so that we could... Go free and be free. Now the sailor's life, you know, wouldn't you love to see, you know, if the sailors wrote a book afterwards to see what they did with their life? You know, maybe they ran a mission ship that did operations for needy people afterwards. All right, maybe that's a bit far. But you don't know. You wonder what, what would happen. What happened to the Ninevites? We, we don't read that much more about them. We don't know whether they became this great nation of God and became a mission sender. We don't know. What we do know is how God works in our life. What we do know is that we've been set free and can go free. What we do know is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins for something so that we could live for him. And as we do Lord's Supper, we do it and we're commanded to do this regularly as a reminder. You know, do this in remembrance of me. You know, Jesus said that and he said that intentionally. Reminders are good, aren't they? You know, when you hang around, last night we were at a party and we were just talking to some people and you know how maybe it's, a th- you know, close your eyes, young people, you know, maybe it's us old people. Remember back when we, uh, you know, that was really great. You remember that time up in Pamela? I mean, I wasn't there with you, but, you know. And, and we love those sorts of things. Remember that and all these warm feelings come up and you think, reminders are good, memories are good. And that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed so that you and I could be free. Remembering is really good. Reminders are great. Remember and believe that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was given for us, an amazing act of saving power in our lives. So we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper right off the back of that because I can't think of a better way. And when he did that, he's with the disciples and you know, he, he picked up the, you know, after they had given thanks, he picked up the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that my body was broken. And in the same way, he, he took the cup after the supper and he said, you know, this is, this is my blood poured out for you. The sacrifice of my blood poured out for you. Do this, in, you know, drink this in remembrance of me as well and of course he was telling the disciples to do that but they would become you know we are because of them that they were the beginning of the church and we're the church so the command is for us to do this in remembrance of jesus death on the cross you know and and if you know jesus as your lord and savior if you know that that you were set free to be free if you know that you were overtaken by god's love and mercy then we want to celebrate this together. We want to invite you to remember with us what Jesus did for you on the cross. So I'm just going to ask our leaders to come on forward and um, ask you to 
there'll be two sides and come and, and grab the elements, grab um, the bread and the, the juice and then sit down and we'll just celebrate that and remember and believe together. So as you take the bread, remember and believe that Jesus' body was broken for the complete forgiveness of your sins to set you free. And as you take the cup, take it, drink, remember and believe that the blood of Jesus was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for um, your obedience to your Father. We want to thank you for your willingness to do what it took, for your mercy and your grace that reached right into our lives where we were. And sometimes, Lord, it interrupts our lives in ways that we didn't ask for and that we perhaps may not have wanted. But Lord, we just thank you that you do it anyway because you love us way too much to leave us the way that we are. And we thank you for focusing our eyes again this morning on you, Jesus, and your saving work on the cross. We thank you for helping us to see that we are free, that we're not out of reach, that your mercy is indeed far-reaching. And God, we want to thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that as we go into this week, that, Lord, we would... um, look at mercy in a new way, that we would be open to seeing what you're calling us to do and be in, your life, in, in our lives. That, Lord, we would be always ready with our ear peeled and ready to listen to what you have to say to us, to what you're calling us to do, to who you're calling us to be. Lord, there are people all around us that don't know you, people that we hang around with because we, they suit us and people that, Lord, we are confused by maybe even offended or fearful of. But God, we want to see your mercy in their lives as well. And if you want to use us as agents of that, Lord, make us willing, I pray. In Jesus' name.